I'm Jana Pruden, host of the hit podcast In Her Defense from The Globe and Mail. I'm excited to announce we're hard at work on a new story of crime and injustice for season two. But season one is out now, and you don't want to miss it. I wouldn't even want to try and go back and count the number of times that I've had a gun to my head. Well, the usual ending is her death, not his. I know why she couldn't leave, because she was threatened every day of her life, and she was scared to death. What did you think about that she had shot him? Good job, Ma! Want a drink? Follow In Her Defense wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. A warning to listeners, this episode contains references to suicide. So Tom McMaster, a white guy from Georgia, living in Edinburgh, Scotland, has some connection to the gay girl in Damascus blog. Now, the investigators have to decide what the hell to do about it. We discussed how are we going to do this? How are we going to do the reveal? As all this is going down, blogger Liz Henry is actually out at this big deal industry event in the middle of the wilderness. I was at a unconference, a tech unconference in the open source world called Foo Camp that happened in Northern California out in the Redwoods. She was hoping to make some connections, but she's just too busy with the investigation. So I was getting calls constantly from CNN, from the BBC, you know, from Washington Post, and from the other investigators who were working on this with me. I'm a wheelchair user, so I'm there with my manual wheelchair in the Redwood Forest trying to just get along and camp with people. And it was a physical struggle for me. And I was also exhausted because I was staying up all night, both researching and also talking to media. Liz is fielding a ton of messages from a motley crew of investigators, including the guys over at Electronic Intifada, a website dedicated to Palestinian news. They were the first to figure out that Amina is probably Tom McMaster. So the Electronic Intifada guys were going to do the actual contact with the hoaxer. We all worked on drafting the email and what we were going to say. We want you, Tom, to post on Amina's blog, which you have access to, that Amina does not exist and is not in any danger. And, you know, make some kind of confession as to the situation, because we are about to go to the media and reveal your identity. The rest of the investigators and I decided to not include Amy Young on most of our threads. And remember... Liz is trying to coordinate all of this while at the same time dealing with the likelihood that their group had been infiltrated by someone calling themselves Amy Young. We all shared that suspicion that we were talking to the hoaxer. So we had just given the ultimatum maybe an hour or so before to Tom McMaster, and I got a call. So there I was, and I have my, you know, Razor flip phone. I was fairly new to the world of cell phones at that time, just a few years in. I took the call and I walked away from the bonfire into the forest. I say walked, but I was actually wheeling, recall the manual wheelchair. And I answered the phone and it was somebody just sobbing their heart out and trying to speak and almost unable to speak. And I immediately had this like, stab in the heart feeling, like a horrible feeling in the pit of my stomach, like this is it, this is the hoaxer. 
the person on the phone identified themselves to me as Amy Young. Liz says the person she was talking to sounded like a man with a high-pitched voice or a trans woman. Amy, as they presented themselves, was crying and just devastated. I felt that powerful emotional impact and a lot of compassion or sympathy because I worried that, that they might kill themselves. So I was like, I hope you have support, you have your wife. I was speaking to them as if they were Tom. They did not admit they were Tom, but there was no other way for them to have known that the reveal was about to happen. I was like, it isn't going to not come out. The truth is going to come out. Whether you persuade me of something, it's already in motion. So I advised them to make the post on Amina's blog. And um, then I said, I think what I would tell Tom in this case is to put down the internet and don't look at it for like a month. I'm Samira Moyedin. This is Gay Girl, Gone, Episode 5, Come Out, Come Out, Whoever You Are. So I'm, I'm with Andy chatting on Gmail, and he sends me that link of Electronic Antifada posting the revelation that all that story was a hoax. And I was just like, holy shit. Okay, wow. I was just like the same way I was in shock when Amina disappeared. I was in shock reading that all of it, not only the name, not only the photos, but all of her was a fake. Like all of it was a fake. I was super upset. I was super angry. I was, yeah, I was lied to. So I was super, super upset about it. I can't imagine what Sandra was going through. Andy Carvin was regularly checking in on her. We messaged each other a few times as it became horrifyingly clear that she too had been duped. You could see how she started developing this steely determination to get to the bottom of it no matter what the answer was going to be. She wasn't in denial. Uh, she wasn't avoiding tough questions. She seemed like she had prepared herself to face this head on. And honestly, I don't know how I personally would have had the strength to do what she was doing. I'm starting to search on Tom McMaster and I'm like, who is that guy? You know? Like, Already you see that all the news outlets are, like, talking about him. One of the things Sandra learns as she reads about Tom is that both he and his wife are academics. He's in a graduate program in medieval studies at the University of Edinburgh. His wife, Britta, specializes in, get this, Syrian studies. And one of the things reported was that some of the photos that Amina Araf had posted on her blog that appeared to be of Syria had also been posted by Tom's wife. She or both of them had traveled to Syria at some point. And so I asked Sandra, do you still have those photos? Did she send any of them to you at any point in time? 
And thankfully, not only had Amina emailed several photos supposedly from Syria to Sandra, Sandra had the originals. And so we were able to take a look at the metadata. Now, metadata is a fancy word for all the information contained in something online that's not facing publicly. So we took a look at the data for one of the photos that Sandra received from Amina, and the metadata suggested it had been taken years before, and it also appeared to be the original version. The only way Sandra could have received the photo containing their original metadata was if Amina, quote unquote, had been either Tom or Tom's wife. And I'm like, okay, here we go. This is what I needed to just like see and confirm that I was being lied to. With every new piece of evidence, the enormity of the lie is sinking in. And I'm just like so amazed of how much work he put and and shock of of just clearly doing it on purpose. So I was just like, oh, wow, okay. He just manipulated me for six months. And I thought, I'm like, okay, well, who else did he manipulate too? Because he took Yelena's pictures. He manipulated all the readers that were on the blog. Uh, so I was like, I think that that person doesn't have a limit of manipulation. While it's sinking in for Sandra, Andy and his team at NPR reach out to Tom and Britta to inform them of what they uncovered about the photos. And we heard back from them. And the response was very brief. And they told us that they were going to update the site momentarily. And that could only mean one thing. I was on a train between New York and D.C. And the internet service on the train was absolutely terrible. So there I was on Gay Girl Damascus's blog, hitting the reload button again and again and again. At this point in time, we were the only people who knew that the person or people that were behind Amina Araf were going to release a statement. And after a few minutes of me frantically hitting the R button on my keyboard in the command key, trying to get it to appear, finally a note appeared. Andy instantly messages Sandra. Tell me to take a deep breath and sends me a link. I click on the link, which drives me to Amina's blog. And it's actually a blog post from Tom revealing that it's it's him. I like I really didn't believe that I was reading that. Here's part of what Tom wrote. I never expected this level of attention. While the narrative voice may have been fictional, the facts on this blog are true and not misleading as to the situation on the ground. I do not believe that I have harmed anyone. I believe that I have created an important voice for issues that I feel strongly about. I only hope that people pay as much attention to the people of the Middle East and their struggles in this year of revolutions. According to that apology, Gay Girl in Damascus was a project 
by Tom McMaster to better engage with people online regarding Middle Eastern issues. And he wrote it as a non-apology apology. But really one sentence that that stuck to me and like that made me even more upset and angry is that he said that he didn't think he hurt anyone. And that's the part I was like, guy, dude, I don't think you actually have any notion of what like is empathy and you don't get it and it's even worse that you're actually saying it and sharing it out there that you think that you hurt no one and that was the part I was like okay you hurt me is one thing but you hurt more than me and the fact that you're being in denial about it is even more crazy than I thought You know, so I was just like, the guy is insane. Well, I found out the news from the Washington Post. I couldn't believe it. I can honestly say it felt like someone burned a hole in me. It was devastating news. My gay Syrian unicorn was actually a white man from Georgia. I'm Charlie Webster. I'm the host of a show called Scamander. It's all about a woman from California named Amanda C. Riley, a beloved member of her local community and dying of cancer. But it was all one big lie. If you think you know what Scamander is about, think again. There is so much to the story that you will not see coming. The pregnancy is reversing the cancer. Listen to the show everyone is talking about. The Twisted Journey of Scamander is available now wherever you get your podcasts. It was in the morning. I woke up as I do every morning. I take a cup of coffee. We had a little terrace in our house in Istanbul. It was early summer, and Turkish journalist Irem Kukur was just starting her day out. I went out there, took my tablet with me, and lit a cigarette, <laughs> and started reading the news of the day, you know, what happened when I was sleeping. Is the world still spinning? Is everything all right? And the moment I opened Twitter, it's like, My timeline, my feed, was about gay girl in Damascus who happens to be Tom McMaster. I was like, Tom McMaster is like, whoa, 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 what's the connection here? Like, 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 what's going on? And then I saw this post, and when I start reading it, oh my, it blew my mind. I was at least expecting to be, you know, gay man from Jordan. Like, fine, okay. <laughs> the, the, the real outcome was mind-blowing, I should say. So, a gay girl in Damascus is actually a married straight man 
from U.S. living in Scotland? None of them matches, you know. <laughs> Nothing matches. This is a real shock because Irem has gotten to know Amina quite well. Ever since she interviewed her, I, I mean him, uh, Tom, for the Turkish newspaper Hurriyet. After I published the interview, I stayed in touch with Amina. We had exchanged uh, quite good amount of emails. What was the first thing you did after? So you read this, and then was there something that you had to well, do? Like, did you have to tell? Did you get a disclaimer yeah, I mean, going? Like, like, what did you do? Fuck, we need to do something. And I, I should be writing. It's, it's, it's my byline everywhere. Like the first interview, the story about she going missing. Like all of them have my name on it, so I have to write something about it. Being very transparent of the process itself, how it ended up. Irem sits there, reading everything she can about this Tom guy, and discovers that he and Britta are currently on vacation in Istanbul. And I was like, wow, like, Istanbul? Istanbul, the one that I am currently (laughs) residing in? And I was thinking about it. And usually I don't make any decisions before I finish my first cup of coffee. Uh, Most of the time, they are the wrong ones. Wrong decision or not, this is just too tantalizing. So initially, I sent him an email on Amina Araf at, like, the email address. Since you're in Istanbul, I would like to have a face-to-face interview with you this time. I will appreciate if you accept this, was my first approach, and I didn't hear back from him. Then I did some research online looking for his wife, and then I found her email address. Tom's wife, Britta. She was an associate fellow at the Center for Syrian Studies at the University of St. Andrews. I sent her an email. The initial response was, I'm out of town at the moment, and I will reply you as soon as I can. And then... After I get the out-of-office message, she replied back eight minutes later saying, yes, we will give you an interview. How about 1.30 p.m. today? We are at a hotel in Sultan Ahmed, which is near the Blue Mosque, giving me the address of the hotel they are staying and the phone number they are using in Turkey. So you sent an email asking for an yes. interview request. Britta responded yes, after correct. eight minutes. Is that normal? Was anything normal about this story? (laughs) Great question. Great question. Uh, No. I was very surprised. And it's like, it's no brainer to assume that I'm not the only journalist they're talking to. If they said yes to me, they're saying yes to others. And... My first thought was, hoo-hoo, this is big, great. And then the second thing I thought was like, why? Like, usually when you approach someone with an interview request and they reply you immediately, it's because they want to appear in the news. They either have a message to deliver or they have something to promote. And 
when you are ended up in one of the biggest identity scandals of the age of internet. It's like eight minutes and saying yes, and here's my address and here's my phone number. Why was the first question? So you you show up at the yep. the hotel by the Blue Mosque. Yep. I asked one of the journalists I was working with, and he agreed to come with me. We entered the inside, and Rita, Tom's wife, came and greeted us. And she said, could you please wait for like five minutes, ten minutes? He's giving interview. I think he was talking to the BBC when we arrived. Irem and her colleague go out into the hotel garden and wait for their turn. I think five, ten minutes later, Tom came uh, together with Brita. And the first thing Tom told me was, if you want to punch me, go ahead and do. Those were the first yes. words he said to you. If you want to punch me, go yeah. ahead. And I said, uh, no, I will leave it to the others who want to do this more than I do. And then we started the interview. He looked so relaxed, would be the right word. He looked like someone who who wasn't caught red-handed, but rather someone who did something to get attention and to deliver the whatever real message they want to give. It was like everything, all these Scandal gave him a platform, sort of, that he was looking for. And my first question was, I asked him why he did what he did. And he just said, you know, he loves writing. And it kind of started as a fun project and it got out of control quickly. Did he give you any sense that he was sorry or that was there any remorse? Did you feel like... He kept telling me he felt sorry about what he did. That was his line. But if he wasn't using the words, I wouldn't have said this is someone who looks sorry or remorseful. No, I wouldn't say that. I went through the photos that was taken that day, like he's smiling... Uh, he's laughing, he's sitting very comfortably on his chair. He didn't seem nervous to you then? Absolutely not. Nervous wouldn't be one of the adjectives I would use to define his, his status that day. What did he tell you about Syria? That he's involved a lot in Syria. He loves Middle East. They visited Syria together with his wife and most of the photos that he shared was taken during their trip there. What was Britta doing as you were doing this interview? Was she around? So most of the time what she did was she was on the phone. She was on the phone with other media organizations. She was arranging his scheduling for the rest of the day. She was going and coming and at some point she rather start walking around the table like a shark. I mean, I, you never know what people would do or feel in certain circumstances. But if my 
partner was in that situation, this wouldn't be how I would be behaving. Like an agent, like PR agent of a sort of a celebrity. Her presses didn't really change Tom much. But what changed his body language and made him visibly nervous was when I asked him about Sandra. Oh, what did what did he say? His initial reaction was looked around to see where Brita was. He took a piece of tissue or paper and he started cleaning the glass on the table that we were sitting. It was the first and only time his body language changed during the interview. He basically said he's sorry about Sandra and he will reach out to her in person to apologize. At some point, his wife came and she said, you need to wrap it up because I have guardian on Skype waiting for you. And said, fine, okay. And that's that. like, wow, okay, he's already giving interviews. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I did find it weird that he was just already talking to the press about about all of this. Yeah, I was, when I saw him, I was like, oh my God. I was super upset and I was super angry to see that I guess he wanted to, you know, to explain himself and to take the attention while it was there. But there's this one media appearance that really gets Sandra's blood boiling. It's an interview Tom does with Guardian journalist Esther Adley. Hello. So you're in Istanbul? Yeah, we're here on vacation and um, a very strange vacation, as you can imagine. When did you get there? Uh, we got here the Guardian actually gets some criticism at the time for giving Tom a platform. Because this isn't just a print piece. It's a 20-minute video. Right, okay. So you left after the last posting. Yes, I, which was stupidly sort of my away message. Do you need money? Yeah. We don't know for sure, but we can assume that Tom's question, you need money, is for Britta. When he says it, he looks at someone off camera. Throughout the interview, he does that a lot, often with this smirk-like smile on his face. He's lounging in a chair, his shirt open, as he says he, quote, stupidly posted the story about Amina's abduction just before he went away on holiday. I was thinking I would phase out the character, and having her abducted was not the way to do it. So you regret that aspect? Yes, I, re- I do. Do you feel that you were very naive in your uh, sense that creating a fictional persona would be not something that would have repercussions? Yes. 
Yes. It truly didn't occur to you that that would be the case. I didn't imagine the because I just figured that no one cares. No one cares about no one that things that like for instance with the blog I was expecting to get um five, ten, maybe as many as twenty hits. Um I looked at it earlier today and I had seven hundred and forty thousand. And that is something just massively beyond any expectation. I also had to think that I like to write and my own vanity is that if you want to compliment me, you know, tell me you like my writing. And that's something that certainly, you know, the fact that I had people saying, you're an incredible writer, really, that's how, how make me happy. I gotta say, this really jumped out at me. I mean, the fact that Tom was still checking how many people were reading the blog, even as the storm broke, and his acknowledgement of his own vanity, like, which I can imagine was fueled by these media interviews, especially this video for The Guardian, the newspaper that also played a key role early on in propelling the blog to much wider notoriety. But now, The Guardian doesn't let him off the hook. The journalist challenges Tom about the fallout. I regret that, um, you know, a, quite a number of people are seeing my hoax as distracting from real news, real stories about Syria, and real concerns of real actual on-the-ground bloggers where people will doubt their veracity. Um, and the fact that, you know, I think it's only a matter of time before somebody in the Syrian regime says, see, all our opposition is fake. It's not real. They have Just put out a statement this morning saying, as I understand it, that it points to the propaganda campaign attempting yeah. to discredit the Syrian regime. How do you exactly. feel about that? This I regret. Tell um, me. Go on. Um, but, you know, I didn't intend to do that and what I did what I don't regret is the fact that I did hopefully bring a good bit of attention to real human rights abuses in Syria and that is the reason is it for the um for the quite detailed I mean there's a lot of lesbian erotica on the blog there <laughs> is uh you know why the lesbian identity and why so involved because it's hard. It's hard. As a, to me, for me. It's a challenge. I like the challenge. Wow. A challenge, he says. And then this next section, it's the only bit in which Tom appears emotional. As you know, um, a woman in Canada says that she had a six-month relationship with Amina through emails. That was you? Yeah. Yeah, and I feel really guilty about that. Why did you do that? Because I got caught up in the moment and it seemed fun and I feel like shit about it. Would you like to take an opportunity to apologize to her? I will. And I'm going to send her personal apology. And what face, I mean, I don't want to do it via media. I want it to be from me. 
Just a few days later, Sandra flies to Rome. The city where she was supposed to finally meet Amina face to face. So I shared with Amina all my travel details to Italy as I was thinking that we're going to be meeting there. And that freaked me out because I was wondering if Tom would show up directly. I thought about it on the plane and uh, yeah, I freaked out a little. I remember when I arrived to Rome, like being super, super nervous and trying to exit the airport as quickly as I could because I had that like, I don't know. I was thinking that he would just show up and I, I couldn't deal with that. I was in a very fragile state. It was only a few days after the revelation. I was shaking, you know, I was a little more, let's say, weak and have less energy to to face it. So I, I didn't want to to face him if he was showing up. I couldn't. Sandra meets up with her friends. They've all traveled to Italy for a wedding. Thankfully, Tom doesn't show up. But Sandra does hear from him, finally. I was with my friend Nico, and we were shopping in small streets of Rome. And I remember getting the notification on my Blackberry. And I read that mail, and I just, like, started to cry, you know, because he was finally admitting that, you know, he heard me, that he manipulated me, that he lied. Uh, I, was, I was crying, and my friend Nico was there, and I made him read it, and he's like, we don't give a shit about him. And, yeah, I think it was just, like, emotional after six months of, like, being lied to, to read it. And still upset, because it was an easy apology letter. In his email to Sandra, Tom writes, I meant every word I was writing as her. I was like, okay. It's very complicated and weird because I think there's so much of like him putting himself and Amina, the sexting part. And then, um, yeah, we're five of us for that trip. And the timing was if I can say, perfect, because it was not in Montreal. I was with my friends, and it was great holidays. Yes, with difficult moments and moments where I was emotional, but I had the opportunity to share with my closest friends, so um, that was good. Next time on Gay Girl Gone. The ripple effects of the hoax land in Syria. Like, I was extremely frustrated, extremely angry, specifically when this white man turned out to be Amina all all along. It was so fucking frustrating. It was, ah, gosh. And this isn't over for Sandra. She decides to confront Tom face to face. I really thought that the surprise effect was the best effect for him not to actually run away. Oh, and it turns out, Tom isn't the only straight white man playing a lesbian online. It just sounds so impossible and ridiculous, and it really was.
We reached out to The Guardian about their coverage of Gay Girl in Damascus. They replied to say that when they were first made aware of the hoax, they took action to investigate and correct their mistakes. They published corrections and amendments to each of the articles covering the story, both in the newspaper and online. They also made a public apology to Yelena Lechich. The Reader's editor wrote a detailed piece explaining what had happened, and changes were made to The Guardian's editorial code to strengthen and clarify the procedure around source verification. They say that they interviewed Tom in order to challenge him on his deception and on the fact that real LGBTQ activists living inside Syria felt his actions had compromised their safety. Gay Girl Gone was written and produced by me, Samira Moyedin, Brenna Daldorf, and executive producer Peggy Sutton. Sound design and mixing by Jeff Empman. Original music by Reza Moradas. Deborah Dudgeon is the executive producer of podcasts at Raw, and Georgina Savage is the lead producer. Suzanne Hamilton is the production executive. Our team from CBC Podcasts includes Roshni Nair, who is our digital producer. Ashley Mack is our senior producer. Executive producers are Cecil Fernandez and Chris Oak. Tanya Springer is the senior manager of CBC Podcasts, and RF Norani is the director. Special thanks goes to Raw production team Joanne Patterson, Anna Marie Batho, and Rowan Lee Potter. If you're enjoying this series and want to help new listeners discover the show, please take some time to give us a rating and review wherever you listen. Consider checking out another series from CBC that I host, Unforked. It's all about the culture and politics baked into the food we eat. You can find it, along with all other CBC podcasts, wherever you find your podcasts. Tune in next week for an all-new episode of Gay Girl Gone. Or you can hear next week's episode now by subscribing to our channel on Apple Podcasts. You'll get access to the best of CBC storytelling early and ad-free. Just click on the link in the show description. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.